and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and it is always a special day when we can combine comics and cinema. We love our synergy, don't we, folks? Of course, I'm talking about the 2000 film X-Men, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary and is on HBO Max until August 1st, when it will head to Disney Plus August 7th. So let's dive right in. X-Men was a Fox film that came out 20 years ago on July 14th and was a huge success. Directed by Brian Singer, accused of sexual assault of minors by at least eight different people over the span of 20 years, and while it appears he hasn't been convicted, you don't get this many accusations and settlements outside of court and get away without a mention of it on comics and cinema. More importantly, this was the first producing credit for Kevin Feige, the head honcho of Marvel Studios, and the first American screen role for Australian actor Hugh Jackman. While this film was not the first Marvel movie, Blade and the old Marvel movies come to mind, the old Captain America, Fantastic Four, in many ways, though, it paved the way for what a team-based superhero movie could be. I enjoyed Blade, but I wasn't able to watch that movie until I was much older due to a R rating. Thanks, Mom and Dad. X-Men also I never got to see in theaters because it came out when I was too young to take myself to the movies, and our family didn't go very often, at least that I remember. Even so, it was PG-13, so they wouldn't have taken me anyway. So, my first foray into the X-Men was through the 1960s comics, but more so the Dorleen Kindersley X-Men Ultimate Guide. What was interesting was at the time, the guide actually had some sections dedicated to this movie, so that is how I first learned about it. And I'll take some time now to actually share some bits and pieces from those pages, as I still have that book, along with some notes that I took during my viewing, my rewatch. So the making of the X-Men movie pages on here say that in 1994, 20th Century Fox and producer Lauren Schuler Donner secured the rights to make an X-Men movie. The following year, executive producer Tom DeSanto, a longtime X-Men fan, began trying to convince Brian Singer to direct the project. Singer finally agreed in 1996 just before his first uh, accusation came out. So he, he made this movie in the nick of time, I guess, huh? Uh, nearly $75 million was spent bringing the X-Men to the screen. Numerous writers tried their hands at the screenplay, which was finally credited to David Hayter. The X-Men's colorful costumes from the comics were replaced by sleek black uniforms on film. This uh, this is uh, was kind of a controversy, not necessarily at the time. Uh, it, it ended up being a, in perfect synergy, in a sense, with the comics because Grant Morrison's run had just come out as well, and they utilized these slick black costumes in that series. And I believe... Can't confirm, but uh, it was at a time when uh, people probably thought that a superhero costume may be just a little bit tacky, a little bit quirky, and little did they realize that the public was begging for those wild costumes. So in a sense, uh, that's going to be one of the biggest things going forward for the MCU is what they do with the costumes. That was always a huge kind of controversy around this movie was, ah, they did the black costumes. Why didn't they do their actual ones? But 
<clears throat> eight companies created over 500 special effects shots. The film opened spectacularly in 2000, setting a record for ticket sales for a three-day weekend in July. Uh, and it's got a bunch of cool pictures in this book, but a couple of the cool little tidbits in this section is the Statue of Liberty, if we all remember that scene in the movie. Since the film's climactic battle could not be filmed at the actual Statue of Liberty, the statue's torch and crown were recreated at Showline's Harborside Studios in Canada. Also, Xavier's Mansion. The filmmakers used the exteriors of buildings at the Parkwood Estate in Oshawa, Ontario to represent Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. Casa Loma, a Toronto landmark and tourist attraction, was used for interior shots of the school. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, this is a who's who of actors and actresses. Uh, you got Rebecca Ro, Ro I think it's called like Romaine, like the salad. Rebecca Romaine Stamos, uh, who is now not that. She's married to uh, Kangaroo Jack, and uh, she, it's a supermodel. Rebecca Romaine Stamos played the shape-shifting mystique. It took eight to fifteen hours to apply the body paint and a hundred and ten silicone prosthetics that gave her Mystique's scaly blue skin. And it also took hours to remove it at the end of each day. I'm sure, much like Jennifer Lawrence, she was very happy after these X-Men movies were over and didn't have to spend that much time in the chair. Uh, we have one of my personal favorite actors, Famke Janssen, who uh, I introduced to her in this movie, but she's been in so many other great things. I actually got to see her at uh, Denver Comic Con. She did a panel that I was able to sit in on in an auditorium. It was awesome. She is super cool and super tall. Uh, Famke Janssen took on the role of telepath Jean Grey, born in the Netherlands. She has played roles in the films GoldenEye, Celebrity, Rounders, The Faculty, and House on Haunted Hill. That's right. That's actually recently had seen her in Rounders. If uh, Some of you uh, uh, deep cut fans, I think I talked about that in a prior episode, but you've got uh, Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart, kings amongst men. And uh, also Tyler Maine, who played Sabretooth. You have Ray Park. And, uh, and I'm going to read his because Ray Park is also a king. Scotland's Ray Park won fame as the sinister Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode I, Phantom Menace. The filmmakers altered the Toad character to take advantage of Park's renowned, renowned skills in acrobatics and martial arts. Uh, that was one of the biggest sort of ahas for me was I had seen, I had seen, uh, obviously seen Phantom Menace a million billion times. It's one of my favorite movies, but uh, I never put two and two together that Ray Park played Darth Maul. And I never believed it either because Darth Maul has so much makeup on. And uh, whenever I would see Ray Park in X-Men, I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. Like, I know it's true, but there's no way. And then every time I'd be like, ha, like, thank god there's a way like i'm so happy that you know ray park got to be in the x-men and in star wars moving on you've got halle berry i already mentioned hugh jackman you got james marsden who uh recently had a great turn on uh was it dead uh dead dead you're dead to me or dead to me uh, on netflix great great show 
Uh, also, Anna Paquin. Hello, Oscar, Academy Award winner. You got Golden Globe winner Halle Berry. Like I said, this this to me was the the first instance of Marvel saying, "Hey, why don't we get some really really good actors to come in here and uh, star in this film?" And then the second page on here kind of just goes into the backstory of this movie, which I'm sure most of you know, uh, being such huge fans of the X Men. So I'm going to dive into some of the notes that I took. So. I took quite a few, but I wanted to just talk on a couple of these interesting ones. One of them, which is, uh, I found out even after I watched the movie, I was looking on Wikipedia, and the island, or wherever it is, and I always wondered this, when I'm wa- when you're watching X-Men, Magneto has a, a weird lair. Uh, it's got some, like, brick, but it also, it looks like it's at the edge of a sea, but it uh, it also looks like kind of space agey in a way. It's very chic. Uh, but they never mention, at least to me, they never mention where it is. And on Wikipedia, it says he's on Genosha, which is really cool and probably an Easter egg to Grant Morrison's X Men because literally nothing on uh, in any of those shots, nothing indicates that they're on Genosha. Other than again, you could argue, well, well you know, they're on an island, but that's it. Uh, so moving on though, as the movie progresses, we get to a really pivotal scene where. Uh, where Jean Grey is at the kind of like a world council, if you will, for the government, and she's uh, sparring with Senator Robert Kelly, who we all know from the comics as the one who started, I believe, Days of Future Past, was the murder of Robert Kelly, who was trying to get mutants registered. I think Mystique murders him or assassinates him, and then that causes the Sentinels, all you blah, blah, blah. We know that. We know that. But in this one, <clears throat> he's still trying to get mutants to be registered. He's trying to pass a law for it, which is crazy to me. I mean, this movie is 20 years old, talking about things that are still relevant today. Uh, but what's interesting is in, in a bit of the scene, he goes, I, here I have a list of all the known mutants, and I'm going to read it off right now. And he goes, you know, uh, John Bon Jovi, he, uh, he lives in, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina, and he has the power of explosion. Are you sure we want him in our schools? And I'm just thinking to myself, whoa, he's doxing these people. Uh, and I never realized it in the prior films. And I know, I know doxing has been a, 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 not necessarily a new thing, but it has definitely been something that's been talked about. Uh, and especially brought me back to the, um, the St. Louis leader, uh, government official who was starting to dox people on her, uh, live stream, which was a absolutely terrible idea. But like I said, timely movie. Uh, and then the other, the other thing I found interesting after that, we go to Wolverine is in his bo- is in the boxing match in the wilderness. It's assumed, I believe it says Canada, but, uh, which is great. Or it was Alaska, one of the two, but, um, every time the guy punches him, it, they, they use a sound like he's hitting metal and I had my headphones on. So I was listening really intently and I guarantee you it was the sound of a metal bat hitting like a metal pole. Uh, super cool that it was that, but it was just, it was weird at the same time because I'm like, oh, that 100% sounds like a metal bat. Um, but then we're going to move on to what my my brother and I always joked about. And I, I was thinking about this before the, the show started, like how to explain this. And uh, there's just those things when you're growing up, there's those movies that you watch that obviously you're a kid, so you can't analyze movies as well as an adult can. And there's nothing wrong about that. In fact, for the most part, that's awesome that you can appreciate any movie. And I still like to think that I try to, like to think that I do. But uh, there's always like a certain bit or something in a movie that, you know, makes you laugh for no apparent reason and turns into some inside joke with your family. 
and uh, or with your brother, siblings, whatever the case may be, your best friends. And so for this movie for X Men, and again, I get it, doesn't make sense, but it's when Wolverine, uh, you know, when they they save him, they bring him back to the X Mansion, and he wakes up and kind of is a little feral. He's you know hasn't hasn't had his morning coffee, and he's running around the X Mansion like, where am I? And I found it funny this time too that he goes into the room with all the costumes and steals a uh, a zip up hoodie. And I'm like, Wolverine, are you really trying to do that? I mean, if this was a movie made in 2010, he wouldn't be putting a zip-up hoodie on. He would be complete abs out. I mean, and I laughed at that too. When you see him with his shirt off, he's all covered in hair, which again, comics accurate, I agree. But I, I would think that in this day and age with the way Marvel works, we'd have seen an ab shot for sure. But he's roaming around. He's trying to figure out, get his surroundings. He's scurrying around the building. And he busts into Professor Xavier's class. And Professor Xavier says, good morning, Logan. And that, for some reason, always made me and my brother laugh. And I know it's just, it's the way that Professor Xavier says it, uh, or the way, I guess, that Patrick Stewart says it. And again, nothing against uh, the god Patrick Stewart. But it got even worse for us, and we laughed even harder when he starts talking to Logan and then says, I'm Charles Xavier. Would you like some breakfast? And he said, says it like that like so straight faced and it's like dude we get it man like you can read minds we like but wolverine is really confused and you explaining who you are by just telling your name and offering about breakfast to me i would if i was wolverine i'd be like i gotta get out of here this is like i feel like i'm in a waking nightmare but i don't know like i said super weird but i wanted to call that out uh but i also want to call out as we move forward uh he gets his own room rogue is there as well really great to see rogue in this movie i've appreciated rogue more and more as i've grown up when i was younger i didn't like her because she um she's a boring character for me at least in terms of her power but like i said as i've gotten older i've realized she's again one of the most powerful mutants she takes captain marvel's powers in the comics like how cool is that it's obviously terrible too but just a very strong strong power and so in this one scene she's i guess what roaming around the halls at night well at the same time wolverine is having a nightmare and uh, she comes into his room and he stabs her his claws into her she actually you know she spooks him wakes him up and she he stabs him she then touches him to heal herself but this entire and i i completely spaced it but she she's like walking away and i look at her back and i'm like are you she's wearing a scarf who and and again i i don't know a lot of people i don't have a lot of friends but and again this could be a, a gifted youngster sort of thing it could be a 2000s thing but who is walking around the halls of is it gray malkin where they uh you know where the the building is who's walking around in pajamas pure pink pajamas with a scarf and it is a see-through very like sort of lacy scarf certainly not sexual in any way but it just looks like she put on the same sort of outfit that you would put on in the evening in the summer when you're overlooking like a the ocean from a cliff that's the kind of outfit that she's wearing is that she's standing on the edge of the cliff staring out into the great unknown it looks a lot like an elsa costume i'd say honestly from from frozen i just was like there's no way there's no way a teenager would do that but maybe they had um as well i wanted to touch on uh senator kelly's powers and we're going to dive into it a little deeper as, as we go one of my criticisms of the film uh the the forcing him to turn into a mutant uh and and it it, it will get there but uh, he turns into a mutant 
and escapes. He, he escapes. Uh, Magneto turns him into a mutant, and he uh, he escapes from the jail that he's being he's in on Genosha, and he does so by pushing his entire body out of the bars. And it kind of makes him look like he's like rubber, jelly. I never understood it as a kid. And then he's hanging on for dear life on the rock. And then he just falls into the ocean. And then there's a scene where he's coming out of the ocean. And he almost looks like Blob. Not Blob. Uh, Glob from the young X-Men. Where he's kind of got this weird sort of exoskeleton. And upon closer observation, I'm looking. I see gills on him. I saw some like gills on his back. Some gills on his front. And I immediately was like, that's Darwin powers if you remember darwin was poorly represented in x-men first class his power set is that he can adapt to anything if he's thrown into space he can breathe in space if he's shoved underwater he can breathe underwater if he is put in a room where an explosion is going to go off he has super hard skin his body and that's why he calls himself darwin is because he's he adapts to anything and i'm like okay well that adds up he's adapted his body to sneak out of prison he adapted his body to uh, to go in the ocean, but I couldn't find anything about this. They just kept saying that the mutation went awry and his body started dissolving, which it does, but that doesn't explain why he grew gills. So that was an interesting take. I would love to hear if any of you noticed that at all or had that same thought. Maybe I'm going crazy. I Typically, I am, um, but that, that was interesting. So the next thing that I want to touch on in this is Mystique. Uh, she whether whether it was by intention my, my forgetfulness like i said i haven't seen this movie in a long time but she got the jump on me twice in this movie and i loved it but the first time was when bobby so this is after rogue did what she did to logan which again and i guess i'll go through my thought processes the next scene she's sitting on a bench outside watching the kids play sports bobby comes and sits up to her and says what happened last night and she's like, Bobby, I'm, you know, I don't know. And everyone is scared of you. And I was like, whoa, no, like, just tell him what happened. Like, you know, it was a complete misunderstanding, right? Like, Logan was going to kill. He killed me. That's all you would need to say is I, and she says it like it was a complete accident. You know, I, I, I couldn't help myself. And it's like, yeah, you couldn't because you were dying. And she's like, he's like, Professor Xavier. And I was like, oh that's right this is i was like why is bobby saying this stuff to her i thought they were friends and then i was like oh my god it's mystique oh geez and this was before it was revealed she was mystique but i was like god like she got me she got me and uh and so i'm thinking to myself though i'm like no this is this is trash this i'm, I'm calling I'm calling bs on this scene because if i was rogue and again i'm not but if i was and i'm a you know a critic of this film she she runs away and he's like, Professor Xavier is like fretting over this. He's thinking about closing the school, whatever the case may be. I, if I was rogue, I'm heading straight into that school, into Professor Xavier's office and saying, hey, is everything okay? Am I okay? Am I getting kicked out of school? I know we didn't really talk much. Clearly, we didn't talk much after this insane incident where a grown man stabbed claws into my chest and then i touched him and took his took his healing powers and saved myself i know i haven't really talked about that so is there like a debrief we do is there a therapist on campus that i can talk to uh no she just runs away which again you know she is a runaway so it makes sense but i was just like this could have all been cleared up and it played right into magneto's hands because he's gonna he's trying to turn everyone into mutants and he's gonna use rogue to do it uh but that was that's number one number two 
is when, and I even had to, I actually had to rewatch the movie because I just put Mystique has tricked me twice now and I didn't say why. And I was like, what was it? This one was even more embarrassing for myself. There's a scene where uh, there's a boat headed towards uh, the dock in New York and you know, no context. All we see is the front shot of a boat and there's a guy driving the boat and then he looks to the harbor and he, it's nighttime, but he looks to the harbor, sees the guy standing at the edge of the harbor, and the guy at the edge of the harbor gives him the A-OK, gives him a wave, a little salute, and the guy on the boat gives him a, a wave, a little salute. Not two seconds later, Sabretooth is behind the guy on the dock, grabs him by the neck, snaps his neck, kills him. And then it goes, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing dude like this guy on the boat literally just waved at this person how is he not how does he not see you how does he not see you behind him raise the alarm and i uh you gotta be kidding me it's mystique and then i was like ah she got me again and i i again i loved that she did because it made the movie feel really fresh i was actually really excited watching this movie and clearly you can tell from me sharing it but the first thing i thought of when i depressed play on this film was god what what it must have been like to see this movie in theaters for the first time that opening weekend to go to the theaters you have no idea what to expect besides the trailer and so i i and i tested myself i said okay watch this movie like you've never seen it before just you know completely pay attention to it and uh see like what what would you have thought if you'd have seen this for the first time and it made the film so much better for that i was like wow again there's some spots and scenes where it's a little like okay you know it's it's 2010 now but i'm like in 2000 that would have been cool that would have been so awesome and so uh this this was one where i was like hey i'm really glad that i forgot mystique did these things because it made me you know i was really into that movie um, so moving on from that as well, we're going to get back to Senator Kelly, and I jumped ahead. This was a note I wrote before Mystique, but I had to time together. Um, Senator Kelly's death is actually really sad, and it ties into the uh, the complaint, or I guess just the criticism that we're going to have talking about a little later. But he just, and I, I was thinking to myself as I was watching this again, you know, we might as well, um, I, I'm going to just kind of skip ahead here, and I'm going to talk about this now because it uh now nah, we're we'll, we'll get to it it's a pretty long little discussion but all i'm going to say right now is that his death was really sad and the scene the scene of his death was really sad because the entire time i'm thinking and this is why i was hesitant to share it we're going to talk about it later but um the entire time i'm thinking to myself like whether and maybe this is because i'm i'm trying to work on my empathy i'm trying to work on understanding of of others specifically people like senator kelly which again i know is you could argue is like why would you even want to sympathize with someone like that but again i'm not sympathizing i'm empathizing i'm just trying to understand why they would act like that and so throughout the movie i'm realizing like you know just like magneto explains to him you know it's not you say you're a god-fearing man but it's not god that you fear senator it's us it's the mutants and you're not going to have to worry about that for long because we're about to turn you into a mutant and i'm just thinking to myself like and again, not, uh, I want to talk about it. We will, we will. We've got a schedule. But just the scene of him him dissolving into water and Storm is there and he says, I just like, I want someone to be there with me when I die. And I was just like, wow. And the, mu the music kind of swells a little bit and gives him a really good send off. And I just kept thinking like, 
what a waste. I mean, if, if Magneto had just worked a little harder and made a device that actually worked and wasn't broken, that uh, Senator Kelly would probably have become an ally of the X-Men, I think, in a way, because they save him. And they, they try their best to bring him back. Xavier reads his mind and realizes kind of what he's been going through. And it's just like, man, how would you feel if, regardless of your beliefs, how would you feel if somebody who believed something different than you forced you into a situation like that and then you died from it like that just to me is is really sad really heartbreaking um but yeah again another reason why this is a really great movie and and i did not think this the last few times i saw this film but uh like i said there's a lot of layers this movie gets better over time uh the last call out that i'll say about this is uh no end credits what's up with that kevin uh i think obviously it's because he was only listed as an associate producer on this so i'm sure he didn't have a lot of say but i bet you he's like hey lauren um you know it'd be really cool if we did an after after credit scene she's like oh, okay hang on buster you did a really good job telling us all the characters in this but huh, you know what when you when you run your own movie studio you can do your own end credits and and he internalized that and he was like just you wait and uh yeah and so that's essentially i mean essentially the x-men movie right it, it's it's not a complicated story they uh magneto tries to turn everyone into mutants or at least everyone in the new york area uh, there's some great little fights the cgi isn't great but you get the great line which you could also argue is an incredibly corny line but i like it which is uh do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning the same thing that happens to everything else and it's like okay all right but storm felt very uh stiff in this movie unfortunately and so hopefully we get some more characterization or a little more i mean she kind of is she's regal she's a queen but um i don't know she just felt stiff in a couple a couple of her scenes but now that uh now that we're on that uh my first time seeing this movie was on vhs and it was a vhs that i picked up for a few bucks at a flea market i felt like such a cool kid at the time sifting through that seller's movies and seeing the shiny silver case uh, for x-men and thinking this is my time now's my chance to finally watch this movie this movie that i had read so much about and you know i knew all the characters and all of that uh, i couldn't tell you exactly though when that took place but it was a couple of years definitely a few years after the movie came out uh, and the same can be said for x-men 2 as well did not see that in theaters i bought a dvd of that at gamestop uh, and and that would have had to have been after it would have been after x-men 2 came out but before x-men 3 because i that was the first one i saw in theaters was x-men 3 and uh i i really enjoyed it in theaters and i still i i recognize excuse me i recognize how bad x-men 3 is there's no getting around that but that doesn't mean that i don't like that movie i i, I do in a weird way it's one of those great movies that you can put on have it playing in the background and pay attention to like 30 40 percent of it and those that 30 to 40 percent is really good uh, what I actually did, though, beforehand was I read the novelization. So before I had ever seen the movies, I read the novels. I didn't read the first X-Men, but I read the second and third. And X-Men 2 was one of my favorite books. And I call it a book because it was like almost four. It was like 400 and some pages. It was really thick. If any of you have read it, it's... Uh, um just like any movie novelization back in the day you know they'd have a, a book that came out and i, I kind of thought that the book was better than the movie but we're gonna see i'll definitely be re-watching the x-men 2 movie again with try to see it with new eyes but since then i've seen these films over and over uh, x-men isn't my favorite of the x-men films 
but it seems like each time that I watch it, my appreciation for the film grows. And that's what makes it such a special movie for me and hopefully for all of you, is especially from that time period. Many movies from the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s don't hold up well at all. And uh, this is one of the ones, though, that I'd argue does, uh, both as a film and as a talking piece. Uh, so the backdrop of the X-Men, both in the film and in the comics, is a very timely message of discrimination and hatred towards those who are different. The story is about mutants, but you could easily substitute that for any minority group, the disenfranchised, anyone that has ever felt like they were an outcast or cast aside because of who they were. And because of that, it seems like this film will always stay relevant, and, and not just the film, but the X-Men franchise as a whole. Uh, and there's some interesting pieces about that that I think could be expanded on for sure in the futures, almost takeaways for the MCU. For example, Magneto is such a powerful character because he was discriminated against for multiple reasons. It wasn't just because he was a mutant, it's because he was Jewish. And there's this, and I say fantastic, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this. There's a lot of things I'm going to be going into here that are, are not easy, um, or I guess you could just say terrible times, terrible instances. And I, I use the words fantastic, interesting, cool. I'm saying it in terms of the movie, not in terms of the actual incident. All of these incidents are terrible, horrible, should never have happened, should never, hopefully will never happen again. But there's this fantastic scene in the beginning of the film uh, that tells the tale of his persecution in the concentration camps and where his powers first manifested. This tale was then told over multiple films and retold again by Fossbender, Michael Fossbender in X-Men First Class. Exact same story. Uh, but now he's in the 60s, and, he, and that's why there's a whole continuity issue with all the X-Men movies. But with that aside, to me, that is argument enough that that story, that backstory has been told enough and that we could focus on something else. With that in mind, I would submit finding another type of person that has been persecuted for being different before they were a mutant. Uh, for example, I heard some rumor uh, that Giancarlo Esposito uh, was being eyed for Magneto. And again, again I don't believe any rumors, but the idea of that is interesting. You could have his mutant manifestation come about during the civil rights movement. This could allow him to be around longer as the whole idea of Magneto being a World War II survivor, foreseeably being born in the 1930s, doesn't add up with a lot of the aging ideas in MCU, the timeline. Why would we want the master of magnetism to be almost 100 years old by the time the movies come out? doesn't make sense and it, it really and i know marvel knows that as well uh having someone born in the late 50s early 60s would add some youth and also depth but sadly you could even have him be younger than that and have his powers manifest during an instance of police brutality which would hit home even deeper kind of like in watchmen obviously watchmen you know their their impetus was the tulsa massacre um, and that, again, wouldn't work in this case because then, you know, someone involved in that massacre would be 100 years old and, and you know, there's nothing that says that he, Magneto, you know, doesn't age. So that just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. But I would say um, as well, you know, for someone, like for someone for, who plays Wolverine, cast a younger actor 
but make it already old. So cast some actor that's in their late 20s, early 30s. We know that they're really good. They're the perfect Wolverine. They look the part, but also they look older than that age anyway. But then in the movie, have it be that like Wolverine's already 100 years old. Or again, you know, you get an older Magneto, Giancarlo Esposito. I don't know how old he is. Maybe Say he's 50. Fine, Magneto is 70 right now. You gotta give them the extra wiggle room for when they're aging in the Marvel Universe because these characters need to be around for a long time and maybe they don't but that's again just a little bit of an opinion Uh, another idea and again this goes back to the world war ii piece but you could cast a japanese character or even uh someone utilize utilize someone like sunfire who could also be in an internment camp in the u.s during world war ii and like i said that would mess with my age argument but as you can see there are so many tragic incidents that could spark mutant births or spark the mutant gene coming up that's marvel's opportunity for uh for you know being more diverse for really dealing with the things that actual humans are dealing with today because they they, they say it from the beginning right like the, the mutant gene activates during high stress situations typically when you're a teen what is more high stress than the horrors that are uh, dealt with by so many people of color uh, so that would actually be, and here we go again, that would actually be a really cool angle that I thought about while watching this film was that the main group of X-Men characters all manifest their powers during different American tragedies, uh, which again, I, don't, I maybe not perfect for an X-Men movie, but could certainly be interesting for you know a, a show, a, a different movie. But you've got tragedies like police brutality, maybe a Hispanic character who is separated from their parents, or and in the worst and saddest ways, the possibilities are kind of endless in that regard for the things that have happened in this country. But that alone would make a new X-Men film something to see. All new faces playing the characters, and you could even tie in multiple universes where the X-Men of the past, the Fox X-Men, they actually did exist. They existed in an alternate reality, an alternate universe, and that would be the Fox universe. This would allow many of the same stories to be told, but in different, more racial settings. Uh, And this was sort of a solution that I had suggested for Spider-Man. Telling the same Uncle Ben story over and over in Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. We don't want that. The fans didn't want that to begin with. The solution I suggested was to have the Uncle Ben story, him dying, him becoming Spider-Man. All of that happens during an opening credits montage. And then the movie gets right into it and you're in the middle of the action. And they kind of did that with Civil War. So that's where uh, I my faith kind of solidified with Marvel because I had thought about, you know, how are they going to bring the x-men in back then too i've always wanted all the characters under the same roof but i you know seeing what they did with civil war made me think okay they're in good hands the x-men are in good hands they will be introduced as needed and it will make total sense Uh, and as much as people want things to be comics accurate many more people want things fresh and new i would love to see that on screen and i know the mcu could pull it off And I also know that there would probably be similar boycotts like that with Captain Marvel and uh, Black Panther, but we all know how those turn out. All they, the only thing they do that's good is they identify, or all they're good for is that they identify people who are hateful or racist. So you know they've never impacted the box office or anything in regards to it. It just, it's just one more blip on the roadmap to success, I guess you could say. But. 
there are obviously multiple ways of doing this, right? Of creating a, a new X-Men movie for the um, for the future. And uh, my whole hope, though, has always been, or I guess you could say not always, since uh, last year, uh, is for them to use the House of X Powers of Ten storyline for the X-Men films. But there's so many ways, so I'm not picky. The trick, though, is to make all of uh, this, uh, to make it successful, is to assume that audiences already understand the X-Men so that you can combine multiple character growths from the comics at the start. Uh, and, and again, possibilities are endless on this, but I do have a few examples, and it, this is just off the top of my head because I, I like thinking about what the possibilities could be for new Marvel movies or new movies in general, but I tend to not like to entertain it for too long because then you get stuck in this idea that this is how it has to be, and I like being surprised. So these are just these were literally off the top of my head when I wrote them down. For Angel, you could make his character still white, but he has to deal with his privilege of being so rich, being able to hide his mutant power like he does in the movies and comics in his in his suit, and tie that into him dealing with being white. How is it that he gets to live a completely normal life while other mutants don't? Dive into that. Really explore that. I think you could get some really good storytelling ideas out of that. Uh, For Wolverine, like I said, no change needed on Wolverine, but it would be way more interesting to see him interact with Captain America or the Hulk or any other MCU characters because, let's be honest, we have seen him in so many X-Men movies. He's interacted with the X-Men. We get it. I want to see how he interacts with other characters. He'd also be great in an X-Force movie, but honestly, I'm not super concerned because we've seen so many of his great stories over the years that I'm I he is the least person I'm worried about. Here's another good one, though. Iceman. Have him be gay from the beginning. They uh, they sort of I guess retconned that Brian Michael Bendis made uh, made him gay in uh, the all new X Men storyline. It was revealed that he um, or maybe it was I guess it was adult X Men. I don't exactly remember how it started, but I'm almost positive that it was from Brian Michael Bendis. And I, I thought it was great. I thought it was like finally you know there there aren't any there's so few characters and now there's quite a few. But um, it was like, okay, well, how do you, you know, how do you justify that he's gay now, but wasn't gay while he was growing up? Well, that's something that everyone deals with, right? And uh, what I think they could really pull from is Sina Grace's Iceman series. Uh, and then for those of you who are interested, I believe it's two runs of six issues at 12 total, or maybe like 16 issues, something like that. It's not a lot. And he, he had some really great um, like thank you letters he would put at the end of his comics. It was a it was a struggle to get those comics published because uh, he stated I think that Marvel um, they they just knew that the sales weren't there. Which again they're a business I get it, but the fact that they allowed him to have so many of these issues out was still good. Uh, but in that series, not only does he deal with uh, you know now being gay. He deals with his younger self because at that time they brought, again, X-Men comics, am I right? But he deals with his younger self who doesn't really know it yet and kind of realizes it throughout that time. But also it really highlights how Iceman is so fun-loving, a jokester, but also super serious when needed. And they could get into the fact that Iceman is an Omega-level mutant that has never really been done in the movies and that would be the coolest thing to see him create like ice giants and battle characters that are way above the Avengers pay grade just because he's, you know, an ice god. Um, and, and then even so, you could have his powers be activated after being bullied. 
uh, because he's gay or because he gets outed at school. Like how stressful would that be? That could trigger your mutant gene, no question. Here's another one that I, I was kind of excited about. And again, I, I say these words, but the, the instances and, and catalysts here are not exciting. They're terrible. But for Storm, the the story behind Storm has always been kind of confusing. I, I'm pretty sure they go into her backstory. She was an orphan. Professor Xavier found her in Egypt, and she was a pickpocket. And they kind of go into that in, in uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Not that great, but... Um, we don't really know like what happened to her parents what uh, where is she from that sort of stuff and maybe they do dive into it that's great but clearly they don't dive into it enough that a regular fan would know so here's a better idea have her be from sudan which is right underneath egypt if my math is right her parents are killed in the darfur genocide which when i checked is like 2003 so that would put her as a teen in 2003 right around my age so she's in her late 20s which is perfect now you've got a storm that can grow you know and be play the role for 30 40 years certainly not saying she has to but it's right next to egypt so she could escape she flees she runs to egypt and boom now she's found by xavier except now she has a really interesting backstory that ties into another world tragedy something that the x-men can deal with or that this movie can deal with for people i think a lot of times the backstories they create for these characters are so important because you can have these little tidbits like oh that you know she her parents were a part of a genocide or father was killed by police brutality then you have audiences all over the globe going oh but genocide i didn't even real i didn't even know about that look what happened after the tulsa massacre in, in uh, watchmen that started a huge conversation everyone wanted to talk about it and uh, it led to a lot of new learning. So I think that's a really great opportunity for Marvel. Uh, and then the final one, like I said a little earlier, Magneto could have his, uh, you know, like I said, father is killed by a police officer in front of his eyes, causing him to lash out and become the villain, become an anti-hero. And, uh, and I, I can't remember if I put it in here later. Maybe I do, but like, how cool would it be in, in regards to, uh, you know, a through, and I do kind of talk about it, but like a through line through these movies, you got Iron Man developing over, you know, 10, 12 movies, whatever the case is that he's in, having Magneto develop from being a villain to being a good person by the end of this. And, and again, that is a really interesting thing that they could dive into because, he was always a good person, right? Why is it that the person who was affected by police, police brutality, why are they the ones that have to become a good person? So that would be a really interesting conversation because technically, Magneto, you are being a villain and he could soften over time and you could have some really great racial discussions in some of these movies from someone like Angel or maybe you make it Professor Xavier that him, that's how they become best friends is that uh, Magneto teaches Xavier how to be a better human, a better citizen because again, in the house of x he's kind of questionable which is is such a great wrinkle in his story but you could have that be the through line through five films is dealing with this racial inequality or a mutant inequality something like that would it just would be fascinating to me now since so many people have wrote in and texted me about this uh, i think it's time to finally acquiesce i'll i'll do it i will explain what uh, I would do to bring the X-Men into the MCU. Now, I will point out as well, like I said, I don't like entertaining these ideas. So uh, if, if you reach out to me and, you know, send me another letter saying, hey, thank you so much, you know, but what about this? 
uh, I, I'm probably not even going to remember what I said. Obviously, I have it written down, but like, I, I don't want to hang on to this. This is just, again, off the cup. If you were to ask me point blank, what would be my thoughts for the MCU to bring the mutants in? Here's what I would say. There's two questions that need to be answered. One, why does no one know about mutants? Two, where have they been? Both of those can be answered through Professor Xavier. No one knows about them in this life because Moira advises Xavier that they need to keep quiet for now as big things are coming in the horizon, things that they've seen, whether that's through uh, you know, a precognition mutant or you know, whatever the case may be. They've seen the future. They've seen alternate realities. They've seen the Fox X-Men universe. They know about Sentinels. They know about Apocalypse. They know that there's so many different things going on and they have to really tread carefully right now because they are at an access point. No one knows about them, uh, and but where have they been? Well, they've always been here. They've always been around. They've been training at the school. They've been living as normal lives as they can. Um, Professor Xavier could easily help out someone like just like in X-Men Evolution. You've got Nightcrawler who has a special watch that makes him look like a regular person. Uh, you could have them be doing that. Make total sense to me. Um, but then people sort of know mutants, and this would be an easy retcon. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, they got their powers through the Mind Stone. And, uh, but really, how did they get their powers? Like Captain Marvel, how really? I mean, it's like a stone explodes or something explodes and gives them powers. You can easily just say that all it did was rewrite their DNA, right? So boom, there's a couple of mutants right there. But there haven't been any incidents yet, right? Or maybe there have. And their memory was wiped out from humanity by Cerebro. Easy easy as pie. Look how powerful Cerebro was in X-Men, this X-Men movie. Not that powerful, right? But powerful enough that you could locate a mutant in the world. How hard would it be to, kind of like Scarlet Witch, no more mutants? Or um, like the Century in the comics. The Century was able to wipe out the memory of himself from all of the planet um, easily done and easily explainable with high science. So after Avengers Endgame, when the stones were destroyed, they set off a giant surge of power that activated many of the mutant genes in people. This means there would be a heavier mutant population in Wakanda and the surrounding area there and in New York because that's where the two times the stones went off. Uh, obviously mutants are still popping up you know here and there as their their powers manifest but these would be huge incidents think about like when the inhuman the uh the bomb the terrigen bomb went off in hickman's infinity where uh everyone basically became an inhuman this is kind of the same thing right um because look at the the size the surge in new york alone would probably cover most of the United States just based on the size of the wave that you see in Africa in Endgame when Rocket's explaining it. So, I mean, that's, boom, now you've got, and that's kind of Marvel anyway, right? All the heroes are in New York. So, boom, all of them are mutants or anyone who was a mutant would be a mutant. And you could even, I mean, you could tie that into Miss Marvel if you wanted. Again, I don't care. I know she's an inhuman, but um, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter to me. But uh, then Moira says that is the sign that they were waiting for. And so at this point, the team is advised that they are creating a new world. But the team is hesitant. Xavier then reveals the plan. Specifically, the fact that they have been 
seeing so many realities where they die or get wiped out through sentinels, just like I explained earlier. All of that could be something very simply explained in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Scarlet Witch is supposed to be in that movie, so if she's a mutant and she starts seeing multiple realities, she could, in a sense, play that part of Moira to tell Xavier, hey, I saw all these other things, here's what happens. So this would be an opportunity, though, to show flashbacks to big X-Men scenes in the past, or how they were wiped from memory, or just that they were in Moira's past. Again, whatever they want it to be, that's a great plan to show. You know, you, you can have a scene where it flashes back to the Fox's X-Men characters, or a scene where there's Sentinels, you know, whatever. It, it would be amazing. But, uh, Krakoa is then established, and essentially the movie ends with the first issue of House of X, where uh, Krakoa is established, they've made the plants, they've they've brought the, the big wigs of the world in, and Magneto says, you have new gods now. That would be awesome, and again, that doesn't have to be the first movie. Like I said, I'd love a Magneto movie that deals with police brutality and with mutants and introducing characters. You could have multiple different mutants popping up in a Magneto movie or just in whatever you want to call that movie. I don't know what you would even call it, but then the second movie would be the setup of, by then, Magneto is kind of seen, okay, you know, I... I'm on Xavier's side. Even at, Who knows? I don't care. Three movies down the line, doesn't matter. But uh, either way, in this movie or in the Marvel movies, we would slowly see the introduction of X-Men characters. Again, maybe in Doctor Strange. They witness some person's power activate and they have to help them. Boom, there's your mutant. This is, again, so many different ways that this could go. And uh, hopefully they're being talked about by people much smarter than myself in the Marvel bull, bullpen. But it only makes sense for Marvel to do this, especially after so many of the Infinity Saga characters were white, male, and basically had the same backstory, like Doctor Strange and Iron Man. And again, they, they had their wins. They had good characters. I'm not saying... I, I mean, I, you could definitely argue that they, they did, but th those are the characters that were in the comics at the time, and, and you can make up any excuse that you want, but right now, they're at a time where they can make really significant changes, and they can make really big leaps forward for our entire planet our entire community when it comes to marvel because all eyes are on them they're they're the gold standard right now so if they put out something that is diverse kind uh but also not or unflinching in its showing of actual real world incidences it would be ahead it would be an absolute smash and again like i said there'd be people that would complain about it but too bad like that's what's happening in our world so with that said there are some, we're going to get into my, my criticism from the film, which I've been wanting to talk about, but just, I like this. So besides some strange shots in this scene, uh, kind of flashing back between Magneto and uh, uh, Senator Kelly, where they're going, ah, ah, and he's like, ah, it's, it's really funny, actually, when you watch it, it reminds me of like a comedy show, but he, uh, what I'm criticizing here is not a criticism of the film. It makes sense in the movie. This whole thing makes sense. But as a talking point, as an observer in the story, I, I, I have to talk about this. So the idea that in order to make somebody understand the plight of mutants, you need to turn them into a mutant is fascinating to me because I agree with that, but I also disagree with that. So it, it's a great idea for a villain, someone like Magneto to do because it worked. 
he changed his DNA and he became a mutant and he realized, wow, you know, I, people are going to hate me, all this stuff. But changing someone's DNA without their permission is insane and not something that I would recommend to anyone, especially if they're trying to argue a point, which kind of just the idea of forcing an opinion on somebody without their consent is really not a, a way that you could do that besides brainwashing somebody, but that's just it doesn't feel right, even though the end result is is good in this case, technically not though because he dies. But uh, I'm just thinking like Kelly, so he escapes, he gets on the beach and he immediately goes to see the X Men. Uh, he could have easily just made a press conference right then and there while he was still his own self and said, uh, "These mutant villains." turned me into one of their kind against my will. This only further shows why they need to be registered and held accountable, and I should know now because I'm one of them. So let me be the first person to register because of this. Like, wow, Magneto really rolled the dice on that one, but I guess it all worked out in the end because he dissolved into water and Mystique impersonated him pulling out of the mutant registration bill. What a nice ribbon. No worries dealing with the consequences of impersonating a government official or literally killing a human. And how long would she have had to keep that charade up, I wonder? What would happen when people had found out that she impersonated them? I wonder if that would have gone over well for the mutant community. I feel like they sort of dive into that in X2, but I think it's more of an Easter egg in terms of that she's still pretending to be senator kelly but all that i know from that is that that's one of the things that i love so much about the mcu is that those sorts of repercussions would be dealt with they would in the second movie or in a through line of all the movies like i said with magneto especially for the x-men and the mcu as a whole marvel has an opportunity to really showcase not only how much they care about diversity and equal representation but to show that the mcu really is our world outside of our window and not be afraid to deal with the tough issues that come out of having characters of color in their ranks so on the 20th anniversary of x-men that is how i would want to honor the memory of this movie going forward I really enjoy this film, not just for its content, but for what it did to set up future Marvel movies. This was the Avengers before the Avengers. The idea of having multiple powered characters on screen at the same time. Now, we just get better CGI and better storytelling. It's a great time to be alive if you are a fan of superhero movies. But... Always remember to look back on the past, look back on those past films so that better movies can be made in the future. And that will do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. I'm your humble host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you at the movies.